Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. Class is in session, about to learn a lesson in the game. We embrace the pain, take it and we make some change. Without scarcity, I don't know where I'll be. Welcome to the University of Adversity. And we're back. We're doing it. Welcome to the show. How are we doing, everybody? Super grateful to have you guys here. Welcome to University of Adversity. If you're new here, welcome to the family. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. Today's conversation was fire. I'm super excited for you guys to hear this. This guy is all about adversity. He's got a book called The Gift of Adversity. <laughs> what better guest than for us to dive in and talk about the one thing that this show, the lifeblood of the show is about, and that's overcoming adversity, finding the gift in it, changing your perspective and understanding that although it may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, it's your actual ally. So our next guest was about to be deployed with the U.S. Army when he suffered a severe spinal injury that left him paralyzed from the neck down. His life was turned upside down after dying twice on the operating table. He was told he would never be able to walk or use his hands again. Days quickly turned into months, and he was forced into a life-changing soul search. He discovered he was left with two choices. He could either be a victim or change his mindset. Having no other option, he began looking for lessons to learn from this injury, and he soon discovered that his adversity was a gift. Such a beautiful realization. My next guest's name is Marcus Aurelius Anderson. And now he's able to speak, teach, and write to inspire others to actualize their full potential and achieve their goals and aspirations. And has spoken and had an awesome TED Talk, which you guys need to check out. This was a great conversation. I was really fired up. I really loved listening to Marcus. You guys are going to hear the fire. We talk about a lot of really cool shit here because he, he brings up, you know, books from the past and some of the analogies that Bruce Lee used and a lot of really tactical information that we unpack. And then after the episode, we actually ended up jamming for an extra hour just about life and, and you know, he was helping me with a lot of things. So it's the nature of the beast. You connect with somebody on a high level and then you end up talking for an hour and then we realize, oh, well, shit, we should have recorded this. So super grateful for this guy. Man, such an awesome conversation. Today, Marcus is a prolific speaker, thought leader, and is bringing a new voice to the generation, desperately seeking understanding and perspective, as well as wisdom. His keynotes have been forged by the fire of experience, giving Marcus the unique opportunity to translate life's toughest problems into practical applications. His insight is universal, allowing him to reach across a multitude of demographics. A few key notes here. He wrote the book, The Gift of Adversity. He's also had the innovative leadership and functional philosophy as notes that I wanted to include here for you guys. So we'll get into all of that. We'll unpack it. It's enough of me talking. Let's dive into it. Sit back, relax. Marcus Aurelius Anderson coming right up. Marcus, we're here. How are you doing, brother? I'm great, man. How are you doing? Really good, man. Thank you so much for coming on, brother. And, you know, 
we we were having a little bit of a chit chat there and I'm like, all right, let's hit record. You know, we don't want to miss any of the good stuff. So talking about 2020 off to a good start, man. And, you know, I came across you cause I, I had saw, I think we were, I saw you on Facebook and I saw adversity. I saw your book, the gift of adversity. And I'm like, all right, I got to talk to this guy, man. I got to <laughs> obviously the show being university of adversity. And I looked into you, bro. And I really love your message. I've, I've, I've looked into, you know, I watched your Ted talk. I listened to some of your podcast episodes. So yeah, man, really excited to kind of dive in because you got a really powerful story. So yeah, it's been a long time coming. We've been, uh, We've been trying to get make this happen, and I'm glad it's coming to fruition because, again, adversity is what binds us. It's the universal thread in the in, in all the things that we're doing, and we're only as strong as the adversity that we overcome. So I love your message. Yeah, likewise, man. So, okay, I know that you had a crazy realization, a crazy story, but before we get into that, man, I want to hear about what it was like for you growing up because I haven't I haven't heard about your real story before that, and you know, how, and I think it would be valuable to the listeners because you did, you went into the army, which is like a crazy thing in itself, which you probably learned a ton from, you know, but what was it like for you growing up? Yeah, I joined the military at 38. So there's a little oh. backstory for sure. Grew up in the Midwest, Tulsa, Oklahoma. I grew up before the internet. I'm 48. So you look good, then, man. You look good. <laughs> well, the shaved head and, uh, and, uh, you know, having a second chance gives you some more urgency, but for me at that time, basically either you would go out and get into trouble and drink alcohol and find those normal, uh, you know, subterfuge, or you could do stuff to try to better yourself, do things for your own edification. I started doing martial arts when I was 11, would always try to read, would always try to play the guitar, do something that would make me more of a multifaceted, almost like a Renaissance man. Having the name Marcus Aurelius at a young age, you know, it's, a, it's an impossible name to live up to, but... I do everything in my power to be worthy of the name in all of my endeavors with a moniker like that. I started trying to read meditations at 12, right over the head. Mm. Lots of these, thus, thou with, you know, Marshall, I mean, anything with, with Marcus Aurelius is tough. And he only had one book, which I didn't know that back then. So I go buy this book. Everybody says, this is what, who you're named after. And I don't even like the guy. I can't even understand what he's saying. I go back to the bookstore, not knowing that he doesn't have another book, asking for another book. And they were like, listen, this is the only book he had. He's been dead for 2000 years. Don't know what to tell you. So I'm walking away defeated. And as I'm walking through the philosophy section, I look and I see this book that is faced out and it has his Chinese characters on it, Chinese characters. And I was like, that looks sort of like the characters in my school, my martial arts school. So I pick it up and I open it up. And the very first line I see that says, continue to sharpen your knife and it will go blunt. Now, even at 12 years old, that made sense to me. Mm. The book was the second most read book in the, in the world. It's called the Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu and I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Lao Tzu and uh, just incredible. And it was very easy to digest, you know, only 80 some odd pages. You could read one page in the morning, which I would do. I get up in the morning and read a page, then read that same page before I go to bed. So even without really knowing it, I was sort of priming myself. I was meditating on the ideas of it. And the way that it looked in the morning would look different by the evening. And I would reflect on that. And then in the next day, I'd do it again. And you could go through an entire book in less than three months, just reading one passage a day. And I would just continue doing that over and over again. So that was how I would continually learn as opposed to trying to just continually fill my cup over until it overflowed and not absorb any of it. I was very monogamous to that text for 
probably two years. Mm. And that's how all those lessons really got into me. And then that led to Taoism, like full Stoicism, Zen Buddhism, Buddhism. And those were my gateways to start understanding what Marcus Aurelius is really talking about. The idea of, of, you know, controlling what we can control, the stuff that's out of our control, we don't really worry about. Man, that stuff is so fascinating. And I'm still, I mean, I'm still pretty new on the journey the last few years, but you know, a lot of, a lot of the amazing quotes come from that, you know, a time that was so long ago, they knew so much yet it was so long ago. And it fascinates me, man. Like I, I have, I've been hearing more and more about diving into books like that, but I know it's challenging right? How, how important is it for people to really read those kind of books? Because I've heard as well, people talking about how important that is, even in the morning at really challenging yourself because regular, you know, business books and all this kind of stuff is one thing, but like, even like Shakespeare, even like these old books that are a lot different, how important is it for people to read these? Because especially at that age, I mean, I had no idea to even think about doing that. Yeah. And I just sort of stumbled upon it. It just made sense to me at that point. Maybe it was just something that was in inside me already. Uh, you asked how important it is. It's, it's probably the most important thing you can possibly do simply because in, in the age of information, right, you can find yeah. out whatever you want now, but so many people are so excited about consumption, mm. but they don't digest anything. Yeah. So the idea is knowledge that is acquired that is not utilized is the equivalent of ignorance. It's essentially worthless. So why would you spend a bunch of money on a course or a program or a mastermind or an event or a book and not use it? The idea is to actually put into play what you already know. And that's the thing that people that are listening to us, they're listening to our podcast and our material. They probably have listened to a lot of things, like you said, business books and different things. But there is not one emotion that you and I have ever felt that has not been felt for thousands of years by millions of people before us. Right. And they will be felt by people thousands of years from now after us. So that human endeavor is the same. Adversity is universal. Fear is universal. Questioning yourself is, is universal. Yet that introspection is what is necessary to allow us to evolve, to allow us to truly know who we are, what we're made of, because that's the only indication to have any inkling of what will happen when we're actually in the heat of battle, whether it be business, whether it be a relationship, whether it be grappling with our own personal demons, our own internal di dialogue, whatever the case may be. So by looking at those things and seeing, Marcus Aurelius's text was actually a, essentially a journal. He did this when he was on the dramatic, like on a campaign at war on the front line. So these were essentially things to remind him, hey, when you get out of bed today, there are going to be people that are going to disagree with you. Mm -hmm. There are going to be people that are trying to stab you in the back because they have certain political affiliations and a, an ax to grind. But by knowing that, he was able to affix this armor and he could walk through it and smile. He would remind himself that if it is endurable, you should endure it. These were things that were, again, stuff that people talk about now, journaling, meditation, visualization. They were doing that for a long time. And again, it's nothing that hasn't been talked about for centuries yet. If you hear the same thing said by a bunch of people over and over and you're like, yeah, 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 I've heard that before, but you're not applying it. You're not getting the, the point. Yeah. Yeah. And have you ever had that where you've heard something over and over, but then the right person says it and it just hits home? You're like, yeah, oh, I get it. Well, just like with sales, right? They say how many yeah. was it? Um, seven to 12 contacts. Yeah. 
hopefully what we're talking about will be that seventh to 12th contact that people need. And that's the best compliment you can give somebody. Yeah. It's, just, it's even about proximity. You can tell a loved one or a friend or a spouse a piece of information and they won't take it from you. Yeah, that's crazy, right? But they hear from somebody else all of a sudden, they're like, oh, and you're like, I've been saying that for the last six months. Dude, but as I, long as they get it is what matters. And we, the, for yeah. us, the idea is to absorb truth irrespective of, of source mm-hmm. and without judgment. Because we can absorb things from people that we may not even like. Mm-hmm. But yet, if I don't take that information and apply it, no matter what I feel about this person from their political or religious affiliation, what I'm doing is I'm actually stymie in my ability to help other people and it actually stops me from growing. So if we can put our ego aside and just say, you know what, I'm going to listen to this. I may not like anything else this person says, but this part, this makes sense. I put this through my philosophical litmus test. Yeah. And it blends with everything else I do. So just like Bruce Lee says, we absorb what is useful. We discard what is useless. And we add specifically is what our own. His original quote was, they asked him, they're like, what martial art do you like the most? He's like, I steal whatever works and I take it from wherever I can find it. But it doesn't sound nearly as eloquent as the more poetic second version of that. Oh, man. Wow. I love it. This stuff fascinates me, man. And, you know, the more we talk about it. Yeah. And that's this thing. The more people hear about it, the more people they, you know, these kind of conversations that may click for somebody. Right. And. Also, what I find interesting, dude, is how, okay, you, the whole world of martial arts and, and all that, how did you end up, okay, so my perspective is, you know, you're pretty self-aware, you're growing, you're doing martial arts, and then how did you, what were you doing to get, go into the army? Because that seems like a completely different, different path than, than most would take. Yeah, the, the short answer is um, went through school, went through college, wasn't sure what I wanted to do, was eventually going to go into uh, criminal justice, was getting ready for a martial art fight. I'd injured my shoulder, went to a chiropractor. He fixed me. The philosophy really made a lot of sense. He's like, why don't you be a chiropractor? I was like, sure. Does, is, that, is that just like a weekend seminar? He's <laughs> like, no, it's a six-year doctorate. So I uh, kind of had to clean the slate and start over with that. Um, but my father and my great uncle were my two biggest male role models. Long story a little bit shorter. I was going to school in Atlanta at, at the chiropractic school there at Life University. I was married at the time, went through a divorce. And then my great uncle that I just mentioned passed like a week after that. So at 38 years old, I'm in school. I'm taking 25 hours of doctorate level courses. I'm bartending 40 hours a week. I'm just killing myself trying to stay out of debt. And I'm doing all this in my mind for the future. But now I find myself no wife, no kids. I talk to the school and I say, what happens if I join the military? And they laugh and they say, well, if you join the military and you go active, we'll just pause your degree. I was a year and a half away from my degree, from my doctorate. So in my mind, if I can go into the military, serve, I can do my part. I can use the GI bill to pay everything else off and everybody wins. And the thing that was the big catalyst for that was I went to my great uncle's funeral. He was in special forces. He was in Vietnam, all the regalia, 21 gun salute, Full bird colonel goes to eulogize him. And I'm pretty strong during the whole thing. I'm, I'm the pallbearer, when the, the, I'm the lead pallbearer. And I'm good until they start playing taps. And they fold the flag into a triangle. And the color guard marches and does a right face towards my great aunt and hands it to her. And they say, thank you for your sacrifice. We're sorry for your loss. 
And that was it. I fell apart. And that's when I went and talked to a recruiter. And I said, what's the age limit? They said 35. They asked how old it was. I said 38. And I, they're like, well, come talk to me. And I was like, uh, if this isn't going to happen, don't waste my time. They asked about the motivation. I explained it to them. I tell them what we just kind of talked about. They asked me if I'm smart. And I said, I don't know. I'm talking to a recruiter at 38 years old. Do I sound smart to you? But the idea was they were asking if I would do well in the ASVAB. You already have a degree in human biology. The ASVAB isn't that difficult. They asked me about my PT, my physical capacity. They put me through a PT test. I maxed it out. So they're like, okay, you're smart. You're in great shape. You're a natural leader. You're mature. You're exactly what the Army wants. And with those kind of scores, I could do anything I wanted to in the military, MOS-wise. And the uh, only thing I wanted was infantry because I wanted to follow my, my great uncle's footsteps. And the recruiter laughed and the recruiter was like, you don't get it. You can do whatever you want. I said, you don't get it, Sergeant. This is what I want. And if this is not what I get, then I'm just going to walk out the door. We go back and forth. And finally, he signs the release and slides it over. And he's like, man, it's your life. And then six months later, I'm getting off the bus at Fort Benning, getting yelled at by guys half my age and competing against guys young enough that could be my sons if I had kids. That's what I needed. You know, adversity in our life, we are better off facing a huge amount of adversity all at once than we are like this small ebb and flow of what happens in life. Most people will come and they'll, they'll say that they don't have any adversity in their life, but they don't get it. Their adversity is mediocrity. Yeah. And it's like the fish that doesn't know where there's water. They don't even understand that they're in it. And you will not understand it until something big hits you in the face. So having this idea that adversity is a gift, understanding that it's inevitable, and understanding that you get to dictate how you decide to view that is so imperative. Because if you wait until you're in the heat of battle to try to figure that out, you're already lost. And, you, and it's really hard to do that in the, in the middle of it. So... Yeah. So you were, you were going to be deployed. Yep. We're preparing to deploy in 2012. I was with a uh, 10th mountain at upstate New York. Okay. If anybody's heard of black Hawk down the book or the movie, yeah. that was the unit I was with. I wasn't with them at that time, obviously in 2012, while preparing to deploy, I suffer a severe spinal injury, uh, disc ruptures in my neck and it paralyzes me from the neck down. Man. And so in a heartbeat, I go from preparing to deploy to a battle within my, myself. And that's, uh, that's when I really started trying to figure it out. When, when most people are 40 years old, they're looking at their lives and their family and their incredible journey and this awesome career. And for me, my 40th birthday was spent in a bed, broke, divorced, bedridden, paralyzed, trying to figure out now what the hell do I do with my life? How, how before that, how, how, much, how did you look at adversity before that happened? You know, were, were, did you have the victim mentality like most do? Or were you aware of what adversity was at the time, even though you didn't go through something like that yet? How did your perspective change from, you know, before and after the accident? I mean, you probably had obviously no choice, but to allow to, to grow from it. But how were, how was your perspective changed during that? man? Yeah. I mean, I've done martial arts my whole life, so I'm, I'm familiar with adversity, but it's, it's much different, you know, to practice what you preach. It's much different to put sure. knowledge that you have. So I was, you know, in my mind, I thought that I was resilient. And again, as a soldier, I, I had gone through a lot of stuff. So I went from being this, like this civilian to a person who was able to ruck 25 miles, you know, do a, a ruck march with a hundred pounds on my back 
in the snow, negative 20 degrees, you know, almost at a jog with, with, a, with a weapon system because that's what you had to do as a soldier. Yet that wasn't nearly as difficult as being stuck within yourself and trying to figure out, you know, what do you do? Because when I'm lying in that bed the whole time, all that knowledge, all that wisdom keeps coming back to me in my brain. But when you're in the heat of it, it sounds like a bunch of flowery bullshit. Yeah. That doesn't help you. It's like, it's easy for you to say that because you're not in it. Yeah. It's easy to be philosophical about somebody else's headache when it's not yours. But when it's you, oh, now you want to be the exception to the rule. And that's not how it works. Mm. Adversity doesn't give a damn about how you feel. It shows up unannounced at the most inopportune time without apology. It couldn't care less about what you want. And it doesn't take no for an answer. And that's just how it is. It's a natural law. So you can either figure out adversity is not out to, to kill you, but it's not going to help you either. And so you can either sit there again. And I, I was a victim for a long time. I was in denial for a while. And then I just became very angry. But I was the person I was the most angry at was me because I realized all the opportunity that I wasted, all the things I'd taken for granted. They say you don't know what you got till it's gone, but that's not true. We know what we have. We just assume that we will always, always have it. So if your business is doing well, you assume it will always do well. If your relationship is healthy, you assume it will always be healthy. If your body is healthy, you'll assume the same thing. But in this life, that's not how it works. It goes up and down. Things come and go. And it's not about blend. It's about being able to, it's not about balance. It's about blending and being able to ride those waves and undulate and be adaptable. Do you think having those skills that you learn in martial arts and the books helped you through that? That's like, what saved my life. Right. Because it truly was. We don't realize the things that we, we have from before that are going to help us, you know, like we don't, we don't understand the value of some of the stuff that you do. And later on, it's just like they're stored there. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh man, now I can, you can use these as tools. And that's what it was. And it was that Zen idea. So for me, I was in a bed for three months man. and I was suicidal right? But I can't even take my own life. So imagine how disempowering that is, right? So for me, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to start from the beginning and just start from the ground up and say, what can I do here? What is the thing? So in, in martial arts, if there's a stronger person pushing against you and we're both on the same plane and we're pushing against each other, I, it's hopeless for me to try to do that. That's the definition of insanity. They are always going to win. But if I can blend with the energy for a moment, if I can just pull when they push, all of a sudden, there's a gap. So just like Viktor Frankl talks about, between stimulus and response, there is a gap. Mm. And that's what this was. So for me, going through that, understanding that this adversity is not going away, and it's pushing me this direction. And I've been trying to fight it this whole time, and it's been futile. So maybe I'll take this crazy idea. Maybe I'll blend with it. Maybe I'll see where it goes. So for me, I leaned into it. And by doing that, I started asking myself questions. In Zen, they, you take yourself out of the equation. It's not about me. If I say that I want happiness, I as the ego, you get rid of that. Mm -hmm. Want is desire, get rid of that shit. What are you left with, right? So the idea for me was, okay, clearly I'm not happy with where I'm at. I know that there is a gift in this adversity, but I can't see it. Did anybody benefit from me being hurt? And it sounded crazy, but then I started thinking, wow, wait a minute. If I'd have been in Afghanistan when this happened, for every one man that is injured, it takes two men to pull him to safety. So that means my team would have been compromised. Another team would have had to cover down. Another squad would have had to cover down. A Chinook would have had to fly in to come get me into a hot zone. 
as 30 or 50 other people whose lives would have been put in harm's way had I suffered this injury while I was deployed. And for the first time in my life, I was like, wow, I'm lucky. Because, okay, gratitude is something that everybody talks about. It's a big buzzword. But most people have bullshit, half-ass gratitude. They, they're grateful for the, for the stuff they like, but they're not grateful for the stuff that's difficult. And the reality is the difficult stuff is what makes us grow. That's the catalyst, right? If it wasn't for something that was some sort of adversity, it would never, ever make us change. If we're comfortable, we don't go where we need to go. And frankly, you know, I'm, I'm still grateful. I still seek adversity in everything I do. I use that as my, my guide. I use like micro adversities to keep pushing me. So for me, when I actually found that ability to be grateful that nobody else was hurt, to have that ability to say, now I'm grateful for the bed that I may never get out of and the room that I may never leave. And I'm grateful for the people that take care of me. And when I did that, that's when I was like, wow, I could, though I don't want to live like this, I could live the rest of my life like this in gratitude. Gratitude is based in love and love is unconditional if you have true love. So even if it's somebody that you don't like at the moment, if you have unconditional love for them, you still love them. Gratitude is the same way. So you have to have unconditional gratitude for everything that happens in your life, both the good and the bad. And when you're going through adversity, it's impossible to see the lesson. It's just the way that we're designed. It's not easy. You can't do that. If we're in a fight or flight and our sympathetic nervous system is stimulated, we don't have higher cognitive capacity. We just don't. But once we get through it and we're able to look back on it in hindsight, that's when we see the lesson. And for most of us, we have adversity and then we want to put as much distance between us and that as we can as soon as we feel that we're through it. We don't examine the wound while it's open. For me, I didn't have that luxury. I had to lay with it. I had to sit there and look at it every day. And that's when I started realizing it's like, well, I can live with this. I can figure out how to get past that. And once I started truly seeing my adversity as a gift instead of a curse, I started getting a little bit of feeling back in my fingers. And that's the only change that I did was that mentality. When I actually had hubris and I had arrogance, and I was like, see, I knew I could do it. I died on the operating table twice, being able to recover from paralysis shouldn't be a big deal. When I had that, I actually started to backslide again. Mm. So once that happened, I went through the whole cycle again, genuine radical gratitude. And once I started to recover again, that's why I was like, listen, I don't know what's going on, but this is what I'm believing. This is where I'm at. And I'm going to live the rest of my life like this. And I've never looked back from, from that day forward. Yeah, this is this is interesting. This reminds me of Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about how when he was in the hospital bed and he had yeah. to, you know, think about. Now, I, I'm curious if you did any of this as well, but how he would think about, visualize each vertebrae repairing itself. And then the second he would lose track, he would start again until he could see the exact body or however being right. fixed and moving and man, it's just so powerful visualization in that, in that sense, man. Like when you're facing that, I, you know, I've, I haven't been in that spot. I've been through a lot of other shit, you know, but not in that situation. Right. How, how was visualization? Did you, did you do any of that kind of stuff to get through? See, or- from, see, for me, that wasn't the way I did it. And it was interesting because Dr. Joe Dispenza was an instructor at Life University when I was at that college. And then he and I were just in Superhuman, that movie together that had Wim Hof and him yeah. and some other people. It's getting ready to be released on Netflix soon. It's going to um, be awesome, man. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, he's incredible, dude. So I love what he does and I love all his material and I love his meditations and he's incredible. But for me, what I did was, for me, I desperately wanted to recover. 
but almost like with what we were talking about, that's over here. But there's all this shit here, all these things I should be working on. And I want to jump over that stuff and get right to the ability to recover. For me, what I had to do was I had to actually face these things, this idea of arrogance, this idea of hubris, this idea of thinking that I could get through something and just will my way through it, understanding that there was something else out there that I should be grateful for, understand what those things really were. And once I was able to get gratitude and that allowed me to have even more empathy for everybody else and everything else around me. And the person that is the most worthy of our own empathy is ourselves. Not in a victim way, not in a self-perpetuating way where it's like, I'm going to sit on my hands and say, oh, I'm grateful while my life falls apart and just let it happen. That's not what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, listen, give yourself some credit for what you've done, but still be blissfully dissatisfied and push. You can do both. You can still be incredibly rich and successful and still help people without compromising. In today's society, everybody seems to think you can be one or the other. It ain't like that, people. Every nonprofit that I've ever spoke for they have an incredible message, but what do they need more of? Money. Don't you think that they could do more if they had more money? It's a, a megaphone, it's an amplifier, it's gasoline, whatever you want to call it. It's what allows you to help more people with what you do. And here's the reality. If you're doing it for the right reasons, the money will happen incidentally. And that is a direct reflection to how powerful your work and message is. So if you are trying to say money isn't a big deal, I would challenge you to say why isn't it? And then if that's the case, why don't you just say you want to make more money to help more people? You could give more money to charity. So they give them a $25,000 check, you give a quarter of a million dollar check. Wouldn't that help more people? So that's kind of the way I looked at it. So for me, I had to work through those issues that were right in front of me that I've been ignoring for a long time. Because here's the thing, the knowledge that we seek is found in the adversity that we are avoiding right now. That's it. Yeah, man. I guarantee it. If you are... I guarantee right now, if you listen, if you think, if you listen to me, there's something that's going on and you know that you should be working on it, right? If you say you don't know what to do in your business yet, you do. Mm -hmm. Why aren't you working on it? Mm -hmm. That's the thing. Why there's something going on in your relationship. Why aren't you having the conversation? Because you're afraid of it. You can try to buy all the courses in the world and hire all the coaches and listen to all the TEDx talks in the world, but it will not do the work for you. The adversity holds it. Go face it. And that's why you have to find it as a gift. If you don't, you're going to be stuck there the rest of your life. Isn't it crazy how fear has that funny way of rewarding us? You know, even though we know every, most people, oh, I mean, maybe not most people, but the reality is when you face something, you always feel better after. That fear gives you this gift, this light, this, this, I can't explain it, but we still fear. We still back away from fear. We still run away. And it's crazy, man, because like, I'm starting to learn more too, even though like, I know things are going to be rewarding when I face it. I still, we all do it. Yeah. And I, it's, it's crazy. Like, I don't understand. I mean, I guess it goes back into, you know, our primal brain. We've been around for to protect us. Yeah. Yeah. Run the saber tooth tiger. That's going to come after us. Right. Yeah, that's the assumption. And, and that's the thing too. I was talking about micro adversities earlier. What you have to do is you just have to make it a habit. You have to make adversity a default setting. Mm-hmm. If you have like the thing I always talk about is, you know, I'm traveling a lot. So when I travel, if I have a choice between the stairs or the escalator, I'm always taking the stairs, right? Yeah. Because that conditions me to take the hard route. And here's the other thing. There's never anybody else on the stairs. It's actually an easier path. 
And if you're willing to do a little bit of work, you're going to beat everybody else that's just sitting, sitting there. I love that, bro. And that's the reality, man. That's how it is. So yeah. if you're willing to do a little bit of work, and again, micro adversities, cold showers, it's cold water, people. It's not going to kill yeah. you. A cold bath for five minutes will not kill you. Doing a Tabata, doing a four-minute protocol of just 10, 20 seconds sprinting and then 10 seconds off for eight minutes, I mean, for eight sessions for four minutes total, it feels like you're going to die when you're doing burpees or, or burpee box jumps or whatever, but yet it's that resilience that you get from that. And just like you were saying, once we're through it, not only can we see the lesson, but we actually come back. And if we're really honest, we realize that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. No, it's always the medicine for us. It's always the medicine to help us grow. It absolutely is. It's like pulling out the thorn. We can let the thorn sit there, but we're going to have to pull it out anyway. So why not just grab it, rip it, and start living your life and start recovering as opposed to sitting there lamenting about the wound or asking somebody else to come do the work for you. It's just not going to happen. It's like me asking you to drink this tea for me. Mm -hmm. You can't do it. You can drink this tea all you want. It's not going to help me. I have to pick it up and put it into my body myself. You can describe to me how it feels, what the texture is, the sensation, the temperature of it, how heavy the, the, the glass is. It doesn't help me. I have to do the work myself. Nobody can do it for us. So for people that are sitting around hoping and praying that something will just fall into their lap, there is things like that that will happen. It's dumb luck. But that happens after you've done the hard work and face adversity repeatedly to put yourself in a position to be in the right place at the right time. And that's how it works. Adversity is the gift because it forces you to look at things in a way that you would never look at them. So like Victor Frankl's stimulus and response, that gap is whenever we're able to decide what that stimulus means to us. Mm -hmm. So if you look at something and you say, this is a hardship, now what you believe it to be will evoke the emotion that says, this is going to suck. That emotion creates the loop. The loop creates action. It's simple. But if I see this and I say, you know what, actually this is an opportunity for me to get stronger. Now my emotion changes because it evokes something that empowers me. And that becomes my adversity perception cycle as opposed to seeing it as hardship. I don't want to do it. I shy away from it. And then when adversity is introduced again, I do it again. Now the loop is strengthening. It's resolving the process. And if all the things that I do all dovetail into that from fasting, I'm in the middle of a fast right now, a two day fast. Awesome. So from fasting, cold showers, working out hard, meditation, visualization, those are the things that all dovetail into this common denominator of do the hard thing and you'll be rewarded. Now, I'm not saying it in this crazy idea of, okay, go out and get in a knife fight or walk into oncoming traffic. I'm not saying to do stupid stuff, and I think yeah. people know that, but there's always that one person that's like, oh, well, you know, should I just go out and jump in front of a train? I don't know. I don't know what you're hoping to gain from that, but yeah. the idea is find something that will force you to get a little bit stronger and then uh, understand that as you're doing it. And here's the thing too, we talk about visualization. If you're in a cold shower and you're going through hardship, if you can visualize what you truly want at that time and think about it in your mind, your goals, what will happen is now that sensation that's negative, that's cold, that's uncomfortable, you will equate that to being part of the price that you have to pay to get to that next level. So you're stimulating and reinforcing your reticular activating system every time you do it, if you decide to do that. Yeah. Oh, the cold shower is, is I've just learned, you know, it's crazy because the more I do it, the more, the easier it gets like anything, but I just, when I'm in that shower, I'm just like, I love the cold because I know what's on the other side of it. That's I know it. Ex every single time, the longer I stay there, the better I'm going to feel. That's it. That's even exactly. though I'm like, I hate, I'm like, look, you love the cold. You love the cold. You know, That's it's, 
And same within the sauna, man, you push yourself. And it's amazing how you can push yourself an extra 10, 15 minutes, the difference in how you feel. It's just yeah. like, I, man, and, and it's those little things that you stack up in your day. If you can get that done in the beginning, you're yep. building this resilience for all those little annoying things that come up in our life, right? That's it. And especially from the physicality standpoint, like being in the martial arts, I'm used to having a blade coming at my throat or somebody trying to punch me in the face. So if I had that already in my mind, now, no matter what else happens during the day, it's not going to be nearly as difficult as the cold shower, the sauna, the Tabata, having a, a big ice wing stick at you. Those are the things that give you that resilience. And then what does that do? That builds confidence. Everybody talks about confidence and you have to have confidence, but you have to believe in yourself. Yeah. And the way that you're able to believe in yourself is by challenging yourself with small things, achieving them and saying, wow, I'm a little bit stronger than I was. And it doesn't happen overnight. But then again, if it was something that was easy, you wouldn't respect it anyway. Mm -hmm. The people that we actually have the most like reverence for Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, all these people is because not because they had an easy path, but because they faced adversity repeatedly because they became friends with it because they overcame those things. And those are the things that give us inspiration. Those are the things that show us that if they're able to do it, we can do it. Mm -hmm. And that's why, like, even with my podcast, Epic Achiever, I always unpack at the end. I always ask that person. And when you have that rapport and they trust you and you trust them, they will tell you things that they haven't told anybody ever else before. And I have never met any person who has been at a very high level that just hasn't gone through some hardship. Mm. It's, it's a direct correlation, man. It is direct. Like the more they've gone through, the higher that they can get if they're able to take the lesson and convert it. But for other people, like you say, if they get stuck in adversity, that's as far as they go. Mm. And that's the person that hates Monday and loves Friday and talks about high school all the time and how those were the good old days. And they have to understand that they can do whatever they want if they so choose, but they avoid adversity at all cost. And instead they would rather watch Netflix and drink a beer and have social media wash over them. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but I'm saying that if you're within the sound of my voice right now, there will eventually come a time in your life when you will no longer be able to chase after your greatest dreams and ambitions. And that time is probably closer than you think. So choose wisely. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy to think though in our lives how you know, we want things to go smooth. We want that flow. And we don't want anybody to go through bad shit. But we also know that it's necessary. And even if you're, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you're an athlete, if everything is going smooth, yeah, that feels great, but you're not learning anything. You're not growing from that. And that's just the hard truth. So that's in myself, myself as well. It's like, if something comes up, instead of looking at, like, of course, it's going to be like, oh shit, I got to face this right now. But then you're like, all right, well, I'm going to learn something from this. Because that's the only choice you have. That's it. Because it's coming for you no matter what. It, it's there. <laughs> and, and I say it in my book, in my TEDx talk, by trying to avoid the, the hardship, not only will you have to face the same adversity that you would have initially, but now you'll have to do so already fatigued from trying to run away from it in the first place. Oh, so, you are, so you're better off just attacking it right now. Yeah. You see it, go for it now, as opposed to putting it off for a few days or a few hours or whatever. And now it's like, now it's really big. It's turned into a shitstorm now. Now you're like, this is much harder than it would have been had I attacked it earlier. Yeah, I think, I think Conor McGregor said something about this the other day. I think, I don't know if he said it like this, but it made sense. 
action destroys fear, something along the lines. Because the anxiety that comes is usually just from not doing the thing. When you start doing the thing, you don't have time to even think about it. Yeah, you don't have the luxury of it. The definition of anxiety is choosing not to choose. Yeah. And that's it. So people would rather put that, those things off. And just like we've always, I mean, Tim Ferriss has said it, Tony Robbins has said it, but it's a variance on the idea of this idea that basically when you start taking action, everything else falls away. The, the idea that pe- most people would rather have a familiar discomfort than an unfamiliar future. But again, we talk about Joe Dispenza. Yeah. What does he talk about? He's like, listen, you have to have this clear intention and this unknown future but that unknown future is what gives you optimism and it comes down to everything that you're doing. So even though, even though the way that we talk to ourselves, the the choice of a verbiage, $250,000 doesn't sound like a lot of money, but a quarter of a million dollars does. Why? Again, because there's optimism because we have that word million in there and it's forward thinking. Uh, mm. So now by doing that, we've already thought, well, I'm already at a quarter of a million dollars. I did that last year or last semester or last quarter, whatever it was, maybe I can double that. And then maybe if I revolutionize the paradigm by which I operate on, maybe I can make this old paradigm obsolete and I could four or five X that. But again, it comes from that belief system. And again, it's the way that we verbalize, the way that we talk about it. And that's what makes us be in a forward thinking, optimistic idea, as opposed to this fear ridden, um, I want to be safe. So I'm going to put my fingers in my ears and close my eyes intellectually and just go la, 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 and hope that I can get through the week. That's what I see so much of. And, and I hate to see it when people do it all the time. Yeah. And I've also become very aware of this thing that you just brought up is how people speak about themselves. People don't realize it. And even myself, when I'm talking, I really catch what I'm saying. So I'm, like I've, I've become, I watch what I say because our, I've noticed in my own life, nobody else is going to come save you. You have to treat yourself nice. You got to love yourself. You got to be able to talk to yourself. You know, we want to talk nice to these people, these people we looked up to, but we're going to tell ourselves we, oh, I fucking suck at this or I suck at that. And I hear it all the time and I was never aware of it before, but now just people, just, just little small talk. You go to, I go to Starbucks. I hear people immediately their default is I suck at that. I can't do that. And I'm like, why can't you? I mean, why is anybody that does anything any different than you? I mean, there's just a matter of belief. It's the conversations with themselves starts, the, starts it off in the first place. That's it. And Tom Bill, you talks about it too. He's like, you know, you can do anything if you're actually willing to pay the price, if you're willing to do the work. Here's the part that the next step that people don't, don't see. Have you ever been really mad at somebody and just like said something out of anger? Yeah, all the time. I used to do it all the time. Okay. And do you hear how venomous that language is that you talk to them with? Yeah. So for most of us, that internal dialogue, if we aren't careful, that's eventually how we will talk to all the people that we love the most, the people that are closest to us. So if that internal dialogue that we have for ourselves is toxic and tears things down and you're mad at a spouse or a child or a friend, and you say something that is just repugnant that you wouldn't tolerate somebody else saying to that person, but yet you're the one saying it, yeah. you have to fix your internal dialogue. If not for your own development, but for the love of the people around you to protect them. Because if you do not do that, that's what will happen. And you will have nobody to blame but yourself. And this entire time you could be working on those things. And in that time, what could you be doing? Become more positive, see more optimistic ideas, go through and see adversity as a gift, go through and start creating opportunity as opposed to seeing hardship in everything that you do. And that's what it comes down to. The reticular activating system 
again, I see adversity in everywhere in my life, but when I see adversity, I see opportunity. Yeah. So even if it is a hardship, even if it's clearly adversity, I'm okay with that. And then if there's no adversity around, that's fine. I see those other things. So I can learn from everything. I absorb everything. I take the goodness from all that stuff. The stuff that doesn't serve me, I just throw it away. And a lot of people, again, they see hardship. That means work. They don't want to have to do work. And then that becomes their default. Comfort. Comfort will be the death of any dream that you have. And hesitation. My squad leader told me this. He's like, do you know what kills more men in combat than bullets or IEDs? Hesitation. He says, Marcus, if you're leading men, if you were the one that's leading man because he was helping me take over a team, he says, if you hit the front door and you hesitate, men die. He says, I would rather you go in, have a plan that's about 80%, pivot, be wrong, pivot again, and then survive. He says, because in combat, no matter how perfect the game is, no matter how perfect the plan is, it never survives first contact when the bullets start flying. It's the same thing in business. So you have to go through... And even in the military, we don't have like fallback ideas. We don't have contingencies like everybody talks about now. We have counterattacks. If we're on a patrol and we get attacked and we're ambushed, we attack the ambush. We don't say we're going to fall back and retreat. No, we say, here are my counterattack option one, counterattack two, counterattack three. And guess what? Now we're the ones that are being aggressive. But if you sit and wait and hesitate, if you want to go talk to that person at Starbucks, and you're like, man, I need to go talk to that person. This person's hot. They're reading my favorite book. And you wait for a second. And then all of a sudden you're getting ready to go talk to him and somebody else goes and talks to him. You're not acting now. You're reacting. Mm. If you're in business and you're trying to be the first one to market and you hesitate because you want it to be perfect, somebody else has already released it. And now you're behind. And now you're chasing their old model. They're already evolving. They're already beta testing this. So by the time you get to where they're at, they're already ahead of you. And then in self-defense, Bruce Lee talks about it. Hicks Law says that the more options that I have to defend myself, if the right cross comes and I say, okay, I can parry, I can shoulder roll, I can bob and weave, I can catch. I need to have those things like I'm breathing because if I have 30 ways to respond to that and I hesitate, it's too late. I'm knocked out. So even knowing that it's coming, you have to be willing to act. You cannot hesitate. You don't have that luxury. Mm. So patience will save your life, but hesitation will kill you. Man, that's, that's gold. So true, man. How do you, this is a question that I've asked a couple different people and it comes up. I, I just, sometimes it hits me in the conversation. I have to ask it. How do you know when it's time, let's say in, in, a, in entrepreneurship and business or whatever it is, whatever path you're on, how do you know when it's just an adversity, a challenge, a hurdle, and you just need to get through it? Or when is it time to pivot? Like when is that realization for people? I mean, this is the thing. It's like, it's almost like the sweet spot, you know? Yeah. And it's always just a matter of powering through and you will get there. Like, you know, it, like, it, it's almost an impossible question. It's like a loaded question. But what I would say is it depends on the individual. It just yeah. frankly depends on that person. The priorities that we have when we are 25 are not the priorities that we're going to have when we're 30, mm -hmm. 35, et cetera. If you're young and you're entrepreneurial and you don't have any, like you can minimize all of your, you know, bills and you don't have a family depend on you, take risks, go crazy and try to work as hard as you can. That makes sense. At the same time, you don't want to burn yourself out. We talked about Bruce Lee earlier. So what it comes down to is figuring out what you really, really want. If, if you make the truly the things that are truly a priority in your life, a priority, you will find the way to get to them. But what happens right now is everybody wants to make everything a priority and then nothing works. Mm. So 
figuring out what is really the drive behind what you're doing. And again, we've always heard about it. If money is your only drive, you will burn out before you get to where you need to go to. Or as Ed Milet says, most people's will to, to win is for sale. So there's a magic number in their head that if they get to whatever that amount is, whether it be 100,000 or 100 million, once they get there, they're willing to take their foot off the gas and compromise. But a lot of people never get to that point because they burn out. They don't understand that there has to be something else behind what they're doing as opposed to just strictly this, this crazy inhuman work ethic. So for the individual who's not sure if they can keep going or not, what I would say is ask yourself, what is the intention behind that? What I'm doing, I'm going to do for the rest of my life. It's a long game. So you're not going to catch me trying to hard sell people on anything. I don't have to. If people like my message, they'll come to me. They'll seek me out. If they don't, then that's okay too. I'm not going to beg anybody. At the same time, if I'm just trying to pump something up like a new startup for three years and then sell that thing, it's going to alter the way I do things. So ask yourself if what you really want is what you really want. And then ask yourself this. I have a lot of people that are CEO coaching clients, entrepreneur coaching clients, and the goal that they have once they achieve it is a nightmare. They work so hard for this thing, this status, this money amount. And then once they get there, they look down on the top of the mountain and they just see that they have had scorched earth around them. Their relationship with their spouse is non-existent. Their kids are strangers. They have no friends. And they've literally embraced the, the anxiety of working 100 hours a week because they would rather face that than have a conversation with a spouse or a child or ask themselves, why am I running myself into the ground? Again, the adversity that they are avoiding holds the secret that they need, but maybe they are really good at being an entrepreneur or they're really good at this idea of delegating things to other people so they don't have to think about it. And the reality is you have to do that deep work because adversity will slap you in the face at some point eventually and make you do it. It happened to me. There's no way I would have taken three months to really examine my life from the very bottom cord all the way to the top, unless I was paralyzed, unless I was stuck in that. What I'm trying to do is give you just an, a drop of what I went through so that you don't have to. And if you can just execute on this information, it will save you time, money, emotion, relationships, peace, presence, groundedness. It will give you everything if you're willing to work on it. But again, it depends on the person. It depends on what they're wanting to do. So if they're not sure if they need to keep going through it, ask themselves, why are they doing it in the first place? How are they going to feel when they get there? And if it's worth it. And if it's not, maybe it's time to pivot. The other thing is this thing that you're working so hard for, you may be able to put a pin in it, do something else for a little while, come back to that. All of a sudden now you have more resources, a bigger team, more money, more time to get this thing you're working so hard on right now done. So trying to multitask is fine but understanding that we as, as human animals are designed to do one thing well and to completion. Mm. So you hear those people that are, that are like, oh, I have all these multiple streams of income. That's fine. But most of them already got to a multimillionaire status first before they diversified. So if you're thinking that you have to have a line of clothing and this and this and this and this and this, these 11 different streams of income to get to that level, that's probably, you're probably going about the wrong way. Focus on the two or three things you're really good at, crush those, put in some work ethic, do the right thing for the right reasons, work with people that you actually know, love, and trust, and you'll get there. But if you're trying to make it happen overnight, one, it probably won't happen, and two, you won't respect it once you get it. Dude, 
<laughs> that was awesome. Sorry, I put I put a lot in there, but I hope Bro, I, I want to give as much as I can so they can gold. hear it over and over again, that and then they can write it. Man, that was gold. Like I'm not just saying that. That was like, man, there was so much value in this conversation. You know, like I I just really appreciate you coming in and dropping that because you know, you obviously have a ton of value and you've learned a lot and just being able to share that with my audience, brother, I really, really appreciate it, man. Now these are the, these are the people that I want to hear it. They're, yeah. they're our tribe, man. Yeah. We're, uh, you know, everyone hears me talk about adversity and you know, all the, all the stuff in between for the last, you know, 150 so episodes. And it's great to have somebody else that can really understand and unpack what it is. So man, again, thank you. Where is the best place to learn more about you and find you? Uh, com. They can find the book. You can find the book on Amazon, The Gift of Adversity. The TEDx talk is free. You can find it, The Gift of Adversity. The podcast is called Conscious Millionaire Epic Achiever. If you like what we're talking about, you hear more of that for sure. And then I'm on all the social, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And uh, if you heard us on this conversation, reach out to me. You know, tell me that you heard us. Tell me what the conversation meant to you, what you got from it. And uh, I would love to talk to you. Yeah, awesome, dude. Always end with one question. I know that we've talked about a lot. I just want to always ha- end with this one. Out of all the lessons you've learned through adversity, what is the number one lesson that adversity has taught you? Adversity is a gift. Embrace it. <laughs> That's it. Beautiful. Man. Fuck yeah, man. I love this. Dude, thank you so much, man. Yeah, dude. It's been an honor. Thank you for having me. All right, man. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, everybody. If you got value from that, which I'm sure you did, tag us in an Instagram story. Share it with your friend. Let's get that thing out there on social media. Text it to somebody that needs it. Leave us a review. Whoever you feel needs this, give them it as a gift, right? Because everybody needs to change their perspective and understand that adversity will make them better. And I feel like we really dove into it here and added a lot of value. So I appreciate you guys. Make sure to check out Marcus. We're going to have all of his stuff in his show notes. His podcast is killing it. His book is killing it. He's just a great human to have around and super, super pumped to have connected with him to share with you guys. I love you guys. Catch you next time. 